enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I am really excited to bring you this conversation, my third conversation with the one and only Matt Fitzgerald. This guy is what an unbelievable running-related career this guy has, not only in terms of his own running, which he has chronicled in, in, in many of his works and his blog as well, but also what he's been able to put together from a manuscript perspective. His new book is coming out shortly, The Comeback Quotient. I've already pre, um, pre-ordered pre the book, basically. <laughs> I was about to say pre-registered. Still have the summit on my mind, I guess. Uh, I've already pre-ordered the book, and I just can't wait for it because I love and have all of Matt Fitzgerald's books, and I know a lot of you do too. So in this episode of the podcast, we get into exactly what um, this book is about, and we touch on a lot of the topics that are in the book, and hopefully that this conversation whets your appetite to go order this book in addition to so many of Matt's books. And I think as much as I love all of them, to this day, my favorite sports book of all time is Iron War. He wrote it, feels like a lifetime ago, and it still is unbelievable. I actually listened to it again last week for the, I don't know, 2000th time. I just love that book so much, and I can't wait to get the comeback quotient as well. I've actually pre-ordered it on Audible. I love audiobooks, and that's usually where I read uh, most of my books. I don't even know if the word read is the appropriate word in this case, but I love Audible so much, and that's where I pre-ordered it. I think it comes out, uh, I think the book comes out in like less than two weeks. So get on it. So this conversation was done as part of the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit. So uh, if you hear some interaction with like, hey, if anyone has a question, so on and so forth, that is why. But it's just a typical conversation that I would have with any podcast guest. So I'm excited to bring that one to you today. Also going to give a shout out to our sponsors, McCurdy Trained and OS First, two companies that I can stand behind. And shoot, I'm part of the McCurdy Trained family as well. So uh, thank you guys for sponsoring this episode so let's get into it with matt fitzgerald hey folks one more thing i misspoke there a little bit in this intro so i um when i said that his book is going to be out on february 23rd and then i pre-ordered it like i said i did pre-order it on audible the hard copy is available so i actually i have the hard copy as well i just like audiobooks a lot so i got that so the audiobook is not yet out. That is something that will be available on February 23rd. However, if you want the hard copy of the Comeback Quotient, it is available now. Matt Fitzgerald is here. I am so excited. My favorite running author. I have ex- I have talked about your books on my podcast. I mean, it's, it's almost as if you've been sponsoring the show. I mean, I think we should probably work on some <laughs> sort of affiliate marketing deal Later on, now is not the time to talk about that. Um, but some of my favorite running books of all time, not even running books, just books about athletics and uh, anything that can pertain to athletic performance in a variety of different ways. Uh, and I was so excited to talk to you and get you as part of this summit because there's not only you know, a lot of the books that you've done, very well done, but you have addressed something and a lot of them that pertains to runners of all abilities. And that is the idea of you know, pushing past performance limits, going, you know, uh, identifying, you know, the mental fitness, what that is, and really trying to harness the aspect of our running that isn't simply or merely physical. And certainly the mental side, you know, 
has a degree of um, impact on the physical side. And we're going to be talking about, we talk, you know, we have the title up here, the comeback quotient. We got the book right here, which I'm so excited to share with people. Um, we'll get into that in a second. I will say, Matt, this is the first time I've, I got one of your books where I didn't have the audio version. Is the audio version going to be coming out? I know you have so many audible versions as well. Yeah. Yeah. This one, there's a little bit of a delay. Um, I, I, it's going, going to be available on February 23rd. And for those who've listened to the uh, audio version of Life is a Marathon, it's the same narrator who I absolutely love. I, I actually I requested him uh, for it. Um, so uh, actually, no, that's not true. It was the same, same guy did uh, Running the Dream. I'm, oh, okay. That's my COVID brain fog kicking in there. So forget <laughs> it. Forget what I just said. But fe- February 23rd is accurate. I love well, he he did a great job. I was listening to Running the Dream this morning during my run. So I can I can I can say that was really good. I think it was definitely better than Seth Michael Donsky, who did the audio for Iron War, uh-huh. which was which I think I've listened to uh, several. It's in the dozens of times at this point, which is why I can name the narrator off the top of my head. Yeah, that's um, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> probably too much. I think they give away too much of what's going on uh, in my own little mental <laughs> fitness. Um, so I so all right, comeback quotient. Um, Let's just talk about this specifically. Why did you want to talk um, more about mental fitness and the um, connection between the mental side of things to the physical aspects of athletics? I know this is a topic that you've addressed in the past. So why did you want to continue along that path here? You know, it's it's interesting. It, when uh, when my book, uh, How Bad You Want It, came out, um, you know, when you write a book, you, you, you do the best you can. And of course you hope that it resonates and people like it, but you never know. I mean, you really don't, you know, I've had books that really didn't do very well and others that I thought might not and did. And and this one, I, I, I remember some of the early reviews, uh, people were complaining that it wasn't practical enough that, that it lacked, like it was inspirational. It was informative but that it didn't like sort of uh, it didn't, there was no step one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I sort of, that, that's a criticism I saw coming. Fortunately, it was that criticism was overwhelmed by an avalanche of <laughs> subsequent positive feedback because people, people like the inspirational <laughs> element. I mean, I, I made a conscious choice with that book, but uh, you know, as it turned it out, I kind of sat with that criticism and over time, you know, I realized I, I really had more to say on the subject. And the, the more I had to say was of a more um, practical sort. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I just had another message to communicate. But but I very much view the comeback quotient as kind of a, a follow on to how bad do you want it? Um, you know, it's consistent in some ways, but but complementary in others. It still has, you know, the science and the narrative, you know, the the the, you know, the, the true storytelling. Um, but it's, it's more, there's more handholding. Uh, there's more of the step one, two, three in this one. Yeah. How bad do you want it was definitely, especially with my audience, you know, the dedicated amateur runner set and certainly the people who are, who are listening and watching this right now certainly fall into that group of those people loved that book. It was like tailor made for them. And you mentioned it being inspirational in a way, but I think it was even more than that. It was, I can relate to these people. I can relate to the feelings, even like with 
how it opened with your own personal anecdotes. Uh, I think I think that was for me was one of those instances of like I've gone through that same exact thing. I have mm-hmm. like I have sprained my ankle on purpose to get out of an athletic <laughs> event. Um, so when I read to the beginning of that book, I was like, "Ooh, ooh, <laughs> this is really hitting me." Um, <laughs> so I, I can I, thank you for bringing that up. And diving into, into this book as well. So when you're thinking about talking about the mental fitness, uh, and then you know we'll talk about exactly what that is, but just the mental side of athletics, where do you as a writer draw the line between how you want to address it, either from the positive impacts it can have or the other way and the negative impacts it can have and how you segment um, the stories you want to tell and the research you want to get into and how you just want to ultimately frame the narrative? Yeah, I guess, you know, my my... My inclination is to be raw with people, and I, I I think that works best with endurance athletes because we all know we signed up for a brutal sport. <laughs> you know, like running is not for the faint of heart. It's tough. It really is. Um, so I, I think, you know, the sport self-selects for people um, who – you know, they have an appetite for the straight dope. Um, so that, that, that makes me feel comfortable. And it is my natural bent anyway, just to be real with people. And that's part of the reason with how bad you want it. I opened up by sharing my experience of being mentally weak <laughs> as a young runner, uh, because, you know, I want to show like, Hey, this is just the truth of it. it, it and And you said you could relate you know, like in a very direct way to yeah. what what I shared. And I feel that that approach just um, kind of like leading with the negative, <laughs> um, like it lets people's guards down and makes people receptive to, okay, sort of we, we've, we've defined a problem, you know, or we've established, you know, that we all have some work to do. Now, like, what does that work entail? Like what, what does it mean to improve our mental game and how do we go about it? Um, so yeah, that's, there might, you know, there are certainly, I guess, other ways, uh, to go about it. Um, but that, that's, that's my approach. And it seems to be, um, you know, it, it, it clearly works. And I think it's, it's partly because of the nature of running and runners. So, the term of art here that you use throughout the book is even uh, the subtitle on the cover is mental fitness. So what, what does that phrase mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, I I have the disadvantage and advantage of not being a psychologist. (laughs) I lack training, but I also have to feel like I have the freedom to come up with my own definitions uh, that are, that are more intuitive or or, uh, experience based. So, you know, for, Working purposes in this book, I, I define mental fitness as the ability to make the best of a bad situation. Um, and of course, now we have to define bad situation. But, you know, basically, anytime things haven't turned out the way you hoped or wanted them to, like that's your bad situation. And, you know, I, I you know, in the book, I, I share a lot of noteworthy examples of really bad situations, you know, like, you know, great athletes, in some cases, household name athletes who went through, you know, major setbacks or, you know, challenges or in adversity. But, you know, I didn't want to give the, the misimpression with those examples that, that that's all I'm talking about. Really, you know, I think that every runner finds themselves in some kind of bad situation 
every single day. Um, you know, I think, I think the signal really is negative emotions. Like anytime you experience a negative emotion in relation to your running, that's your bad situation. Like that is your opportunity to practice mental fitness. Like anytime you experience a, a, a negative emotion as a runner, there, there's a spectrum of ways you could cope. You know, th- those emotions signal a problem and, you know, you could, you can solve the problem skillfully or unskillfully and there, thereby fail to solve it or, you know, in, anywhere in between. So a, a runner who has a high level of mental fitness um, is able to make the best of, you know, the majority of bad situations they find themselves in. Now, you know, cert- certain situations, there's actually not a heck of a lot you can do like making the best of it doesn't look a whole lot different than giving up, you know, when, it, when, when you're constrained, you know, just by circumstances, but there's always a degree of freedom uh, to, to cope better than, than the runner to the left and the runner to the right of you. And I think that's that, why would you aim for anything less, right? That, than to consistently make the best of uh, bad situations, because the, the thing you can't do is prevent every bad situation from happening in the first place. So you need that capacity in order to, uh, you know, fulfill your potential as a runner. And it seems like the other thing that you can't necessarily do either is solve every problem, right? And you say right. you're, you're talking about making the best of every situation. That doesn't inherently mean like, all right, the problem is now solved. I'm moving on. Now I will, I will now run this last 400 meters in 59 seconds to win the race because I've just overcome this hurdle. Um, so when you're talking about making the best of a bad situation and, you know, you mentioned it's going to be, this is sport related and not sport related, right? This is, this is, this is be every, you know, everyday strategies as well. Oftentimes we are so inundated with our own thoughts and emotions. When, when do you draw the line between really trying to understand, um, I'm phrasing this, this question incorrectly, but in terms of like, when we're on a run, it can be really easy to just fall prey to our own, like the drumbeat of repetitive thoughts in our head versus trying to just disconnect, zone out, get to some Zen state where we're, you know, separate from some of these inner thoughts. Um, what's your take on, on those, the, uh, those, those two situations? And certainly there can be a morphing of them. Um, but, you know, those two situations where you're ingrained in your own um, mental processing and trying to work through it versus just trying to dissociate from it. Yeah. You know, th- this is where I get back to, I think, the, the very useful um, analogy between negative emotions and pain. Because think about it. Anytime you experience like a red flag pain as a runner, you know, it gets your attention. Like it signals a problem that you have to deal with or you'd better <laughs> right um so you know you could pretend it's not happening but that's not going to get you anywhere like you know pain exists for a reason uh if it's intense enough it is going to get your attention and you and you basically automatically uh you know w- you know whatever you were doing before the, the with your with your head <laughs> before the pain manifested like that's that's on the back burner. You say, you'll come back to that later. You're going to deal with the pain one way or the other. Same with, with the negative emotions that signal 
you know, a problem, you know, some kind of problem. It, it could be something as simple as, a, you know, a really bad workout, you know, bad, like a workout you were looking forward to and had high hopes for, you know, it, it doesn't go the way you you planned, you start to get frustrated, you, you feel your confidence shaken. That is, you know, that that's your opportunity or, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, it's not pain. It's not the same as pain. So you could just, I think that's what you're getting at. It's like, for 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 too many of us, we those emotions just happen, and we let them happen, and we don't gain distance from them. Mm-hmm. With with pain, like I said, it's it's automatic. Like you're like, well, it's my knee that hurts. Like, and maybe like, oh, I've had this pain before, or I've never had this pain before, or it started when I did this, or I don't know why it started. You know, you start to you go into problem solving mode, like you're you're triaging and. And trying to figure out, like, do I need to stop or do I not? Um, whatever. And and with with emotions that that are triggered by um, things, you know, going wrong, it, it's it's the same deal, except that it's because it's not pain. W- what happens too often is that runners just allow those emotions to rule, not just how they feel, but their behavior as well. Um, and what you know, what you see. Um, the the athletes who have a high level of mental fitness there's a term that comes up uh, a few times in the book metacognition and that's here's me putting my psychologist hat on your metacognition just means thinking about your own thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. so we all have that capacity like well psychologists would say not until about age six <laughs> do, do we de- develop the, the ability to step instead of just like it's all just happening and you're in it like dog consciousness like like you can actually step back and and watch yourself experiencing thoughts and emotions, and that's what you do with pain. You're not just completely inside the pain unless it's like, you know, I don't know, you've just had an arm chopped off. <laughs> but, but you know what happens with pain is like you you step back from it and you're like you assess it and you you try to make decisions and and you can do the same thing with emotions. It's just not as automatic, but you need to. Um, because if you don't do that, the emotions are just going to decide how you react. You don't, you don't have a choice. Like however you react is how you react. And like, there's one option and your emotions decide, but though, you know, how those emotions cause you to react might not necessarily be the best solution. So in order to at least open up the possibility for like a, you know, better decision-making, you need to sort of, uh, catch yourself, be able to catch yourself. Like as soon as that emotion occurs, like, oh, I'm feeling frustrated, frustrated because my workout hasn't gone well. And then then you're like, OK, what does that mean? Like, do I necessarily um, you, you go through exactly the same assessment process that you would do with pain and, and, and an injury? Um, and, you know, maybe there's nothing you can do about it or maybe you maybe there's something practical you can do about it. Or maybe the, the the best thing you can do about it is not you can't necessarily change it in the world outside you, but you can change your attitude toward it. It, it could be something as simple as, oh yeah, I had a workout that was just like this in my previous buildup, and I ended up setting a PR at the end of it. You know, just something as simple as that that would not happen unless you did that. You know, got that metacognitive distance from what was happening. You know, it, you know, th- those are the kind of possibilities that are opened up by that res- that type of response. And it seems like, especially in the example you just gave, that framing plays an integral role 
in this process from the outset. And the one that you just mentioned right now, which is something that I can relate to, and, and I've seen the therapists at times in my life, and I've, I've talked with, with them about this exact same thing. So it's something that is illustrative on a couple different levels for me is the idea of I am versus I feel and the discrepancy right. between the two. Yeah, there's a cartoon I love. Uh, you, you know, it's uh, I don't remember who came up with it, but it's about this concept uh, which is looms large in my book of acceptance, um, and uh, it shows uh, it, it's got two panels and it's got um, a rain cloud spewing rain on each side, um, and it says on each side it's raining, and it presents two different reactions: the text underneath the rain clouds, so it's raining on both sides, and and one response is. Uh, it's raining again. I hate when it rains. This it always rains. Like it, the rain ruins my day. And like that's non-acceptance, right? Like when you think about it, it's ludicrous. Like you don't decide whether it rains or not. Like you know, this is an example of like you know reality not going the way you would have hoped. But you know, it's an extreme example, and it could sort of fail to make the point because you like everyone doesn't want to relate to that panel. But that's how we that's how we react, right? You know, like like. Turn that rain rain cloud into a bad workout, and that's you. <laughs> that's the other. I always have bad workouts. This happens every time. As soon as I'm getting fit, you know, I start to have bad workout. Whatever, um, you're catastrophizing. Um, you just you're getting you know absorbed, and you're not you're not able to let go. Uh, we're on, on the other side of the pan- panel. It's like same rain cloud, same text. It's raining, and the response is yep. and 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 that represents acceptance where i mean it's simply human to want things to go your way i mean you're a fool if you don't and you're a fool not to do what you can to make things go your way but they're just not always going to um and then like that that first fork in the road in terms of mental fitness and how you react to things going uh, your way or not is the acceptance point where it's like either you fail to accept it and you just sit there brooding. It's like, oh God, another bad workout. Like I, you know, I my confidence is shaken. I'm not sure I'm even as good at running as I thought I was, versus acceptance is, well, it's bad workout. These things happen. You, know, you can start to think about like, did it happen for a reason? You know, mm-hmm. maybe you know, could I get more sleep? Could I try to reduce my work stress? Could I, you know what I mean? Like, could I, am I overtraining? Do I need a rest day? Uh, Is it my diet? Um, You know, so that you can start to think about, you know, are there controllables? But insofar as they're not, you can also change your attitude toward it. Like, you know, the example being like reminding yourself of other times when you had a similar experience and it all worked out uh, in the end. Yeah, Bridget just had a great point. Uh, in, the, in the chat, I feel like once I accepted 2020 was not going to be my big year of comeback to racing, I was able to enjoy it. So I was able to certainly relate to that. Um, yeah, and I think at the heart of what you're saying is, is the idea of observation without judgment, right? And noticing what's happening, right? You're not trying to be blind to the world. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have rose-colored glasses on. There's, there's no color. It's observation without judgment and that that would be the lens with which you can then build forward uh, to mix my metaphors nice and perfectly. 
Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today is $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. All right. So let's talk about the three steps of making the best of a bad situation. Accept the reality, which you've you know talked about. Embrace the reality and address the reality. I feel like the vast majority of people, I'm not even gonna say that. Your host oftentimes <laughs> likes to skip right to step three, address the reality. Because reality, we often just assume is so easy to understand. Who can't understand reality? It's the thing that I see, it's the thing that I feel. 
And how often do we, we even say this to our partners or loved ones or even to ourselves? I feel how I feel. It's just the way it goes because it does have, even though it's ephemeral on some sense, it does have this tangible element, at least to us. So these first two steps, the accept the reality and the embrace the reality, I feel like on some levels, people will view those as almost like a fait accompli. Like, yeah, I get it. But that's also, I feel like the two hardest parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I would, I would posit that, I mean, you can't address a reality that you have not first accepted and embraced. So, you know, the steps go in, in that order. Now it can be sort of an all at once, you know, you know, the, the term I use for the, the masters of facing reality uh, in my book is ultra realists. And, and for those people, you know, that's, it's so ingrained, you know, that, that ability and willingness to fully face reality when it doesn't go your way, that it seems to happen all at once, accept, embrace, address. So uh, you see them just addressing without realizing, no, they had to first, you know, accept and, and, and then embrace, um, you know, a good example from the book of, of kind of, you know, the, the sequence, um, is, uh, it's from the. 2014 Ironman World Championship, and I apologize for giving a triathlon example and a running. Matt, summit, Matt this but... is how you got involved in writing in the first place. <laughs> Triathlete Magazine, of course, you're going to go back to triathlon. <laughs> I love the sport. Uh, so that year, um, an Australian professional triathlete named Marinda Carfrey came to the Big Island as um, as the defending champion. Uh, she'd won the previous year. She was on top of the world. She was favored. She had had a great season. She was favored to win again. She said in an interview before the race that anything less than another victory would be a disappointment. Uh, so she ends up getting off the bike uh, in eighth place, more than 14 minutes behind the leader. And she knew the history of the race well enough to know it was over. Like, you know, nobody had ever overcome. She 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 held the marathon course record in that race. So no woman had ever run the run leg of that race faster than she had. And she knew once she found out she was more than 14 minutes behind and that there were seven women ahead of her, she's like, it's over. Like, and, and so that was her accepting it. Like, you know, it, it's so easy when you, when you, you know, when you look at those examples and say, oh yeah, I would have done the same thing in her, <laughs> in her place. Like, no, you wouldn't. Like, you know, when you have your heart set on, you know, for for the people listening, it's more likely a personal best. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you really, really want to achieve a certain time in a race and you've worked hard for it and you're ready. And then you get in the midst, you're in the midst of it. You're in the thick of it. Like you're suffering. You've been working hard. It's not over yet. You have a long way to go. And the handwriting is already on the wall. Like it ain't happening. Like that is so hard to accept. So hard. Like, you know, I've been, I've been there when you like, I mean, you have all, you have the, the, the most suffering is still in front of you and it's, it's for nothing. It's for nothing. <laughs> like what you came there to do, you're not going to do. Right. Um, and so when Miranda Carfrey was in that situation, like she had said in that interview before the race, anything less than another victory will be a disappointment. Like, so she, she knew the numbers, she knew the history of the race. And she said, you know what, I'm going to try and make top five immediately in the moment she just like that is like hardcore ultra realist you know jedi of mental fitness she had to run a freaking marathon in 85 degree heat 85 percent humidity 
like knowing that she couldn't achieve her goal. And she's like, I've got a new goal. And, and she, you know, she took off running, you know, at a new course record pace just to see like, how, like how many of these seven women can, can I pick off? Of course. And then, you know, so that, you know, she, she accepted the reality. She, she did not try to lie to herself or she didn't just quit. She's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the best of it. Um, well, that, you know, that, that's the embracing part. So I like to use the, everyone knows the, the expression, like when life hands you lemons, turn it into lemonade. Like that is all about this process of facing reality. Like step one is admit that life has given you lemons, like, but, but no more than lemons. Like, can I, can I interrupt there? Because yeah, sure. oftentimes I'm, when people hear accept in this framework, it connotes the idea of being okay with it. Yeah, and that's where right. and that's where the rebellion comes in like no right. i will not accept that i will not right. accept not doing well in this workout by doing that that is then you know bowing down to the idea of defeat and i will not do that right yeah so i mean no accepting ju- you know literally just means like not like I- i'm literally talking about like admitting it's raining when it's raining like right. if it is raining and you won't admit it you're crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all I'm really talking about. Right. So it's not, you know, defeat or resignation or like a bad attitude. It's just saying it's raining. Like it is. Right. And then, um, and just, and just mentally the idea of like, say the workout's going badly, right. the acceptance of right. like, I, what, what am I feeling? I am right. feeling this instead of being yeah. like, no, I'm not going to feel that way. Like, no, 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 that's right. not where we're, we're not at that step yet. We're how are the, you are, your, your, your mind is going elsewhere. You're dissociating, you're feeling bad, you're distracted, like whatever fill in the blank Mad Libs workout book that you have. Right. Um, the idea of accepting exactly what's happening does not necessarily mean that you're okay with it happening in the first place, which I know. Um, right. It's something that I've had to deal with in terms of that, 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 that idea that those two things are not connected. Right. Yes, exactly. It's like, like, I mean, you're saying like, all right, I didn't want lemons, but I got them, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So like you're admitting that they're lemons and you're also admitting that you didn't want lemons. Right. right? And so Marinda Carfrey to return to my story, (laughs) you know, she, she's admitting that, you know, she did not want to be in eighth place more than 14 minutes behind the leader getting off the bike. But she's not denying that that's the case, right? Nor is she denying, nor is she trying to pretend that she's okay with it, um, right? She's not sitting there like all those people are cheaters. I am not actually behind, right? Exactly. I'm the cleanest yeah. athlete yeah. here, and and going down right. that mental rabbit hole, right? That's a, that's actually a great example, like you know, because that that's a form of denial. There are really two ways that you could fail to accept reality, and they're almost antipodal. Like one is denial, like. That that I love that I love that phrase. We've all we've all said it. This can't be happening. <laughs> what is that? What is that? That's denial. That's like, like I'll tell you what it is. It happening. was me at one o'clock today when I'm on live with Jason Fitzgerald and my charger, my computer stopped working, and I had 14% battery left at the beginning of this <laughs> rambling and running virtual summit. And I said that on live air. I'm like, this cannot be happening. <laughs> there you go. Like I said, we've we've all said it. So that's one. <laughs> denial and then the opposite extreme is is catastrophizing where you where you make it out to be more than it actually is like you're like you know these lemons are like i don't know like arsenic 
you know, like, right. you know, like, like it's even worse than, than lemons. So anyway, like, so you go from there to embracing and, and embracing, that's where it sounds like you try to convince yourself you're okay with it. Right. But mm-hmm. embrace embracing is just the moment where having accepted that things aren't going the way you wanted them to, you commit to making the best of it anyway. Like that's what embracing the reality is. It's like, you know what? I didn't want lemons, but let's see what I can do with these, you know, now now that I have them. In Miranda Carfrey's case, she's like, you know what? Like, I don't think I have a prayer, a snowball's chance in hell of winning this race, which is what I came here to do. But now I want to see like what's possible. Like how I'm 14 minutes behind. There's seven women in front of me. Like, how many of them can I pick off? How much can I close the gap? Um, right. And I think my favorite example of this all time actually came from a book that you wrote, which was Iron War, which was when Dave Scott came back to the Big Island. Again, we're, we're sticking with triathlon. This is now the triathlon summit. Um, Dave Scott comes back to the triathlon at an older age. I think he was like 45, maybe he was 15. He, he wanted to compete. He wanted to win. He comes off the bike. He's like 20 minutes back, the same situation. And this is a guy who not only like won the year before or something like that, he was the, at that point in his life, maybe the best triathlete of all time, super alpha male. I will not lose under any circumstances type athlete. And then he looks back on this race in retrospect because he then picks off all of these people. He makes it to the top five and it gets to the point where he now views that as maybe, maybe one of his best races of all time, which is the man who would, except defeat under no circumstances. Now I've used this race where he didn't even have a chance to win as maybe his best race of all time. And I loved that, that um, part of the book that you wrote, because it was like the last person on earth, I would imagine who would be okay with that situation, who in the moment flipped the switch like that and immediately embraced it. You know, that that's exactly the example I give when, um, you know, does it, when I deliver this message, it's, it, it comes across as bad news to some people. It's like, oh, all you tell me I can't do miracles and all I can do is make the best of a situation sometimes. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you can't win. <laughs> but but the point is like the, the ultra realists, like people who really truly have a champion's mindset, it's not about winning for them. The deepest satisfaction for true champions is knowing they made the best of the situation. If that if that means winning, great. In Dave Scott's case, I mean, you know, he he won the Ironman World Championship six times, and and you're exactly right. If you ask him, like, what's your favorite race? You know, the race you're most proud of that you ever did. He'll say, 1996, when I came back at 42 and finished. <laughs> like because of because he had never had to stretch himself more you know he, he he was 26 when he got off the bike that year and passed 21 people ran a 245 marathon uh at 42 in hawaii yeah in hawaii <laughs> and and yeah and like like just because of like he achieved more with his mind like and that's where it's at like you know mm-hmm. and, and you hear this this is not just dave scott you hear example after example after example of that now in the case of Miranda carfrey she won <laughs> she, she passed all seven women ahead of her made up all 14 plus minutes and won the race and for for that reason i consider it not as good an example because it, it can 
it can make you think, oh yeah, it is all about salvaging it and pulling off a miracle and winning after all. It's like, right, right. no, I would, I would submit to you that if Marinda had finished fifth, fourth, second, or third or second, she would have been just as proud of herself, you know, because of the effort she put out and how smart uh, she, she was in, in executing her comeback. And that's, that's the addressing part. Like, you know, once you've decided, once you've committed to turning lemons into lemonade, you still got to make the damn lemonade and sort of, you know, it's very much possible to trip at that last hurdle, um, largely because, you know, well, for a lot of reasons, but but the two main ones are, you know, some people just aren't willing to put in the effort that that it <laughs> that it takes, you know, to to truly, you know, it, it's again, it's sort of a failure to to fully face reality. Like when you you'll convince yourself that it's not possible when what's actually the case is that you aren't willing to do <laughs> there's a limit to how far you're willing to go but 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 i think the effort the effort side of addressing reality gets we all know about that right but i think what is what doesn't get enough attention and what is equally as important is intelligence judgment being smart and and that's what you see in a lot of these these comeback stories i share in the book is uh, Miranda Carfrey is a great example. Like, you know, when she started p- picking off women and, and moving toward the front of the race, she got excited. You know, she's like, wait a minute, <laughs> right. like th- this isn't over. But she very consciously said, don't get carried away with yourself. Like stick to the plan. You know what pace you can and can't run. Don't try to run faster than you can because you'll pay. And like she would get to the aid stations where she needed to get the nutrition she was going to need in order to keep moving up and she would slow down more than she, it was painful. It's like, I got to slow down to get, you know, all, you know, drink all the cups. I, I, but she, but she would do that. Like, um, so yeah, that's a huge part of it as well. Like there's a tendency to want to just sort of force it, like brute force. Like once you're like, okay, things have gone wrong. I'm going to see what I, I can, uh, you know, if I can salvage this or make the best of the situation. And then you try to brute force it from there. Um, but that's not, effective problem solving effective problem solving also requires judgment just as much as it does effort yeah and for so many of the dedicated amateur runners who are listening to this the the idea of sharpening um not even sh- sharpening is not active but but expanding their mental fitness isn't necessarily going to be important on race day it's going to be much more important on you know, their, their everyday life to set themselves up for success with their athletic pursuits. And you address this with the self-sabotage uh, piece. And in addition, just their workouts, because they're going to race a lot less. And when I say race, I'm not talking about 2020. I'm talking about like when races are a little bit more prevalent and you have a lot of opportunities, you're going to be doing many more workouts than races the vast majority of the time. However, the same situations can come up, especially because you don't have the group effect. Oftentimes, People who are who are listening to this are going to be training and doing workouts alone. They're not going to be in groups, and the stress of things aren't going well, or the idea of self sabotage, or even the idea of like, ah, oh, this isn't going great. Oh, I could who's who's really going to know if I do seven reps instead of eight, or six reps instead of eight, and taking the easy road in those situations. Can you talk a little bit about the necessity of? being proactive towards those kinds of mental models as opposed to simply um, trying to address them in the moment? Yeah. Um, 
you know, this gets to back to the advantages of not being a psychologist. <laughs> I mean, you know, I am a coach and, you know, I work, you know, with one-on-one with, with athletes and, um, you know, I, I do a lot of problem solving with them, you know, that's, that's the job. Um, and, and for me, like, there is absolutely no need for a mental fitness building program that is external to the process of solving the problems that come up in the course of being a runner. Like that's it. And that's all like, you know, I, I make the point in, in the book that like mindfulness meditation, it can be like, uh, you know, a helpful appendage to the process of building mental fitness, but you don't have to do that. Journaling can be helpful, but you don't have to do that either. Like you don't have to make time you know, separate from physical training to do your, your mental training, just wait for a problem to come up <laughs> because the problem, it, it's all about how you solve the problem. Um, you know, for me, yeah, I, I'm a pragmatist, pragmatist, like as an athlete myself, as a coach, I'm, I'm just like, just tell me what works. <laughs> like, I, I don't care what the theory is behind it. Like, I don't care if it's popular or unpopular, you know, if anyone else is doing it, just like, tell me what works. Um, and for me, like that, it, that, that just, let's just get right to the heart of it. Like problems are going to arise, um, and, and we're going to want to solve them. And so, uh, you know, my approach, uh, like ultra realism, you know, the path toward becoming an ultra realist can be, you know, it can be what you can walk that path entirely in the context of the stuff you're already doing as an athlete. So if you don't have any problems today, wonderful. Wait a day. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> As you might be able to see behind me, this is not my house. I'm in a hotel. So I had to pack my bags last night. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go for a run tomorrow morning when I wake up. Check the weather forecast. 100% chance of rain until 1 p.m. Like, I will be running in the rain. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. So your rain analogy, your rain analogy before was perfect because like I was like I don't want to run in the rain. I'm like, well, you are so dress appropriately, I guess. Um, you know, runners of all stripes are used to you know the, the the tough situations, the bad situations that can afflict them. We don't need to go through the list right now. Um, anyone who's listening to this or watching this can come up with their own list and. We'll probably could probably do so until the end of time and come up with all new things constantly. So let's just skip to the ultra realism part. And you mentioned before the practice of metacognition and the, the ideal of, of thinking about your thoughts and watching them, observing them, and then ultimately doing so in a way to not only change them, but address the situation. So what are some other, what are the two, I, I know you have listed here, um, what are the two other aspects of ultra realism that people can try to work towards that will help them get to the point of developing the kind of mental fitness that can really help them in their athletics and everyday life? You know, one is, um, you know, recognizing that you always have freedom. Like, you know, this is where, you know, I, I tie a lot of, um, I don't know if I'm, anyone remembers that book, The Secret, or I think it was also a movie that came out a while ago. I do, back. I do. Yeah. I, I've, I've read, I've read one and I've watched the latter. Yeah. It's like this, you know, this, this nugget of, you know, gnomic wisdom that like, apparently like, you know, the most successful people have always known throughout history, but you don't know it until you read this book. And I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, 
the comeback quotient is kind of my my version of that, except it's not BS. <laughs> but 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 the, the way it's similar is that you know when I because I sort of came up with this on my on my own. You know, it's just it's like it's my take. Um, but like, you know, there's so much like what, you know, once I started doing research, because I didn't want to be the only guy proposing that fully facing reality is the secret, right? Because it's right. like, well, who are you? Um, but like, I'm not the only one, you know, like, like Buddhism is like pretty much all about this. It's just a, a different vocabulary, like the Stoics in ancient Greece, even, you know, transcendentalism on, on this continent. And even, you know, some, you know, modern, you know, especially, you know, positive, positivist or humanist psychology, existentialism in, in, you know, 20th century philosophy, they're all, it's, it's basically kind of the same message. And, you know, I mentioned existentialism because, you know, their, their big thing is freedom, where it's like, like you always have freedom, uh, you know, no matter, no matter what has gone wrong or how bad the situation you, you find yourself in because it's easy to think I don't like, you know, like I'm a victim of circumstance and (laughs) for me, but like you always, always, always have a freedom, freedom to, to choose your response. Sometimes again, it is only a matter of mindset, but that can be huge. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so sometimes like the best you can do is you can't solve the problem in the world outside you, but you can change the way you experience it. And it can go from something like terrible to something good. Like, uh, I don't want to go too far down this road, but you know, I am currently suffering from post-acute COVID-19 syndrome. Um, and and I, I may well have acquired um, a dysautonomia um, that I will have for the rest of my life. You know, just a, a, an autonomic nervous system dysfunction, um, a type of thing that is, I, I've, I've discovered relatively common, uh, you know, after post-viral infection, and this is pre-COVID, it appears to be especially common among COVID survivors. And so I'm in a situation where like, I feel terrible every day. I can't train. Uh, This has been going on for more than a hundred days now. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like I just failed, you know, a cardiac function test. I was briefly told not to exercise period (laughs) at all. Um, so that's a bad situation, and right. and and it, it it may be a permanent situation. So, I it 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 may be a problem I can't fix. But you know, it's funny, not ha ha funny. You know, that th- this happened right around the time this book came out because I I feel like okay, Matt, time to walk the talk. <laughs> you know, right. time time to practice what you preach. And I can tell you, I'm not just saying this to be consistent with my public messaging. Like, you know, I have practiced what I preach in this book. And it has made a world of difference. Like, I'm not glad that this is happening. I, I am suffering, <laughs> but but I'm experiencing it in a very different way than than would have been the case 10 years ago. I, I can tell you, um, you know, I'm I'm really okay with what's going on in, in a much deeper level than I would have been if I didn't have these concepts to to fall back on these tools um, to use. Um, so that, you know, like. Oftentimes, you know, I, I, I want to say, like, you know, being an ultra realist can also help you solve problems <laughs> that, that you wouldn't solve otherwise. It's not just that. But but getting back to this freedom thing, like, you know, even, you know, the, I give the example of um, 
that the book, the famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a, you know, a, a, a concentration camp memoir. And that's the point he makes there. So just like in the worst situation you can possibly imagine where you don't feel like you have any control, you can still have a better experience if you control right. this part, which nobody can ever take away from you. And it's so liberating because like what you're really doing is you're, 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 you're becoming independent. You, you actually no longer care whether things go your way or not. You, you don't waste any time. Like you want them to, but you don't put any energy into hoping it doesn't rain on race day. You just don't go there. And, and you know, ultra realists, they do that. I promise you, they, they do that. You know, if there's, if they, if there's trying to break a world record, they hope it doesn't rain, but like mm -hmm. they, they just don't put any, they don't waste any energy uh, on that stuff. And it just makes you feel so free. Cause like all that anxiety, you know, that, that you feel when like you feel dependent on like, I can't be happy unless things go are going my way. Like if you're able to graduate beyond that, man, it's, it's really liberating. Um, so that's, you know, it doesn't happen overnight if you're a long ways away from that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I have plenty of things I want to say before I do. I want to remind anybody, um, we do have the chat feature. If you have any questions for Matt, please put them in there and we will get to them for sure. Um, maybe I just put myself in a really hard situation that maybe I can expedite the process. Um, you, you mentioned before this idea of there's always freedom. There's always choice and how you're going to approach the situation. Um, you also mentioned the Stoics. It reminds me of one of Ryan Holiday's books. He mentions uh, Hurricane. The movie Hurricane is, you know, is, is one of those popular movies that came out a decade or so ago. Uh, talks about that extensively. Um, Nelson Mandela's story is very similar, uh, being jailed, um, and just always having this feeling of choice uh, around it. And there's, there's just so many others. You don't need to be in jail to experience this. Um, but it's also this idea that, you know, I was talking with Matt Fitzgerald, I'm Matt Fitzgerald, Jason Fitzgerald earlier, and uh, your, your brother from another mother. And um, <laughs> we were talking about the idea of putting yourself in hard situations because by doing so, and we were talking about physically, but by doing so, that mentally, it will help build up that callousing effect. And what we're talking about is a little different. We're talking about a little bit more of like helping build up the processing, right? The metacognition, the understanding, the, 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 the really trying to get a grip on this. And I think that's another way, another meta way of saying, okay, I'm going through something painful right now. Anyone who's listening to this can say, can harken back to this. At another point, like, okay, that means I have an, that means I have an opportunity. I'm going to view this as an opportunity, not as a detriment. Um, but oftentimes when we go that route, it can be easy to then, and just goes, goes back to your, your example earlier to then forfeit the end goal of like, to just view it as the opportunity. Okay. I'm now just going to be part of the process. I really don't care what the result is the results, meaningless. And then to kind of like give up on this one aspect of the problem while embracing this other, as opposed to, um, not forfeiting. The, the, the end goal uh, yeah. while still maintaining the idea of handling and embracing the reality of the situation. Yeah. That's one of the things I, you know, that I love about sport uh, because um, it's like this simplified microcosm of, of life. And I, I think it, it makes it just such a fertile training ground for mental fitness, which will 
benefit you in life outside of sport as well. But because in sport, like, I mean, the the goals are sort of almost handed to you, right? You know, it's like get to the finish line as fast as you can, like beat beat as many people as you can, improve as much as you can, or, or what have you. And I think in sport, it's actually easier to have it both ways than it is in life. You're like, am I truly giving up on plan A or, and just trying to make the best of it or what? Um, that's why you know, I think Marinda Carfrey is a great example where, you know, she, she told herself during during the 2014 Ironman World Championship, like, it's very unlikely that I'm going to win this race that I want to win. So she just focused on doing the best she could. But by doing the best she could, she was able to pull plan A back onto the table. So you you can have it both ways. Like when I say making the best of the situation, that's exactly it. I mean, mm-hmm. if it, if it's a race, that's the situation. Right. So, so if it's possible, you know, if, if something goes wrong that puts your original goal in jeopardy, the best way to still achieve it is to focus on making the best of the situation, you know, and just sort of like, okay, I'm just, you know, I got to put that out of my mind for a minute and, and make the best of it. So that way you almost can't lose because, um, I mean, true success is look, being able to look back and say, I succeeded in making the very best that was possible of the situation that, that, that was given to me. And then it's immaterial whether you achieve your original goal or not. So like, like having that mindset or that approach, it gives you the best chance of achieving your original goal. But regardless of whether you do or not, you also have a better experience <laughs> of the race. And in the comeback quotient, you know, uh, this was before I got COVID. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to, to, I wanted to put my money where my mouth was. And so um, there are many chapters interspersed throughout the book where I, I, I share my journey of making a comeback as a triathlete. So I did uh, in 2019, I did my second Ironman and my first in 17 years. And so like, so you were rested, you were rested for the second one. (laughs) I was rested, but like, I literally couldn't even run or, or bike when I started. Like, cause like I had a, I, that's part of the reason I just decided to do a triathlon. It's like, well, I've got a running injury. I can't run. And every time I ride a bike a lot, I get a, I get a knee injury. So like, it it was really interesting, you know, because I'm learning about all these concepts and trying to put them into words and, and share them with people while I'm writing this book but I'm also practicing them in this. It was an 11 month journey. I needed every day of those 11 months, <laughs> but, but you know, what you see in, in uh, I don't want to give too much away, but when it came to race day, you know, I had very, very ambitious borderline crazy goals for, for that, for that race. You know, I, cause I wanted to put that pressure on myself. Um, and, you know, I failed to achieve my craziest ambition for that day. You know, but I still did because a lot went wrong, <laughs> but I, I, I still did very well. You know, I just, I, you know, if I, if I had three goals, I achieved two, two of the three in terms of like performance goals, but like what, what makes that day, you know, the reason I'll, re- I'll remember that race fondly to my deathbed is that like, I just had an incredible experience, like, you know, like, you know, the, the, almost 10 hours I was out on that race course were just awesome. 
you know, like I, I was the absolute best version of myself, a, a better athlete, Matt, than I had ever been on any previous day of my life. Like I loved it. Like I, I you know, I just, I, I was like Take that Chicago uh, marathon. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, don't take that one away from me. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, but that's the point because ultimately like nobody cares about your PR. <laughs> No, like, right. <laughs> the only people you know, who care about your PR is when they when they coincide with a world record. Exactly. Um, yeah, that, exactly. That, that, that's a great point. And we have people in the chat being like, you know, is there any chance people people loved um, how bad you want it? They loved running the dream. They loved that book. And obviously, it's it's too bad that you did running the dream before this book because it would have been interesting to like be able to take Ben and the groups, um, all their teachings, and then also combine it with what you learned uh, from this. And I know every book provides learning experience for you. Um, obviously with everything COVID related, people are asking like, Hey, running the dream too. Can we get a sequel. And you know, you mentioned before, obviously you're, you're in a situation now where um, that's not necessarily going to happen tomorrow or anything. Um, but with that said, I just want to say that that book has been brought up to us so many times here on the show. It, it always gets referenced um, as one of people's favorites. And the fact that this book has elements of it within it is even more reason to get this. Not only will it help you, but you'll be able to see him along the journey. The comeback quotient, go get it. Look at Molly Seidel, kicking butt right on the cover. Um, That's fantastic. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it and have a great day. Thank you, Matt. And thank you all who have tuned in. Matt, thank you so much for being a part of the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit. And I'm so excited that all of you got to hear this conversation. As you may have already known prior to this episode, and you certainly know now, Matt is absolutely fantastic. And I was just so excited. Any chance I get to talk to him, whether it's on the podcast or just you know, lucky enough to have his phone number, and if I want to give him a call, he's always so responsive. He's just such an awesome guy. Go check out all the things that he's doing in the running community. He is certainly doing wonderful things. Also, shout out to our sponsors, McCurdy Trained and OS First. Go check them out today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.